It's Wednesday, October 14th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me today, our man in Colorado, it's Tim Byers. Good to see you. Good to see you, sir. We have got the latest from United Health. We are going to dip into the full mailbag, but we're going to start with yesterday's event that Apple held. Apple unveiled four new versions of the iPhone 12, yeah. including the Mini, the Pro, the Pro Max. Tim Cook said, this is the beginning of a new era. And this, from an optic standpoint, Tim, this appeared to be very much about not just the new phones, but 5G. Uh, the CEO of Verizon, Hans Vestberg, joined Cook on stage from a safe yep. social distance. Um, what did you think of that? We'll get into the, the phones themselves in a second, but what did you think of the 5G messaging that was coming out of Apple yesterday? Oh, it was amazing messaging. If only it were as accurate as the hype was making it out to be. Um, I take so my headline on this, Chris, is that this is an amazing announcement for a lot of people, but not necessarily Apple. The five G. Here's the problem with the five G news. If you put cardboard in front of a millimeter wave five G device then that 5G device is essentially, it, it is stopped from doing any kind of 5G broadcasting. It's not that Apple has done anything bad here. It's that they're touting 5G in a way that makes you believe that as long as you have a phone that says 5G, you are going to get 5G speeds. That's just frankly not true. The real thing that has to happen here there has to be a massive build out of the network. So Verizon being on stage, that's a good thing. What it tells me is that very likely uh, the first the first network that's going to make your you know iPhone 12 5G compliant device work like an actual close to 5G device is probably going to be Verizon. Although that's really going to depend on where you're located. If you're in a big city, like if you're in New York, if you're in San Francisco, odds are you're probably going to get that kind of connectivity a lot sooner. But millimeter wave is a funky technology that we we could go under the hood on it. and I'm not going to unless you ask me about it. I'm, but, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. But the the, the bottom line here is that if you're buying this phone because you believe it's going to give you 5G, please don't. In terms of the phones themselves, um, you know there there have been events in the past where Apple has come out in the fall. They've unveiled the latest and greatest iPhone, and to my untrained eye, I sort of look at it, and you know there are always new features. Um, but I, I, in the past, a lot of times I have looked at whatever is the newest version of the iPhone, and I have thought to myself, well, this is probably going to be something that the Apple enthusiasts are going to rush out to buy. Right. right. Um, that was not the case this time, actually. With, with the phones that they had, I, I looked at the Mini, which uh, is the least expensive of them, and I looked at that and I thought, boy, I bet for some people who are price conscious or just don't want a, a larger phone, I think that is going to appeal to them. And then in terms of the Pro and the Pro Max, 
I think that's going to appeal to media professionals. So I, I, I see this as, I'm not saying that this is going to be the, the most successful uh, event in terms of new sales, yep. but I see the targeting that they're doing, and I think it could be a hit, particularly with the Mini. I think you're right, because here's the thing. I have a, what is it now, four-year-old Apple iPhone SE. I think where this really wins for Apple, if it really wins, but let's say you're right, and I, I think you've got a, 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 I think you're thinking right about this, Chris. Apple is betting on that iPhone 12 mini to be kind of like the upgrade path, maybe the skip a generation upgrade path for somebody who has like an iPhone SE. If they can get you into a 699 phone from where you were at an iPhone SE, or let's say at like an iPhone 8 or even an XR, um, they win. They win. They do not need to sell very many of these iPhone 12 Maxes, which is like, it's got so many superlatives in it. It's like its own sporting event. I, I mean, it really is. It's something. But the Mini is a is a really interesting device. And didn't you find it interesting that when you c cut between, so you have the iPhone 12, you have the iPhone 12 Mini, and those are 699, 799. Then you have the iPhone 12 Pro and the iPhone 12 Pro Max, and those there's a hundred dollars like 999 and 1099. But what's interesting is there's a $300 delta between the two. And it's not the 5G stuff, basically it's the screen and the camera. And so for the vast, what basically Apple has told you is that our mainstream product is basically this mini. Like just buy the mini and we're gonna be happy. And you know who's super happy about that? Taiwan Semiconductor. Because they're gonna be making all of those chips, this A14 Bionic, they have just loaded up. The other people who are the other one who's really happy about this, sort of applauding in the background, is Jensen Wong, the CEO of Nvidia, because he's looking at a forty billion dollar bet on ARM chips, and Apple is the biggest producer of ARM chips in the world. So you got to figure he's backstage, just like whooping it up, because this is millions of new ARM chips that are going to go into those phones. Last thing, and then we'll move on. You know what we did not see yesterday from Apple? Mm. A foldable phone, mm -hmm. which was, you know, not that I thought they were going to come out with a foldable phone, right. but I, 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 I'm just, I'm, I've never really seen it with, with what Samsung is trying to do there. Uh, yep. But, you know, who knows? Would have been a new generation, though. Would have definitely would have made Tim Cook's new generation comment valid. Absolutely. United Health. Third quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. The health insurance giant also raised guidance for the full fiscal year. But yep. it, it was interesting, Tim. Uh, David Wickman, the CEO, he, he kind of pumped the brakes a little bit in terms of 2021, saying, look, we're still dealing with a pandemic, and that's right. going to make it difficult to predict where things go next year. Um, you know, the stock is down a little bit today, but uh, I... This was another strong quarter from United Health. No doubt. And it's particularly strong because costs are up. And I think the reason for those those 2021, that 2021 guidance that might be a little bit soft is they are modeling in to their credit, I think, um, some higher costs because the more you're going to see visits, the more you're going to have to 
um, you know, work with doctors, manage claims, those costs are going to go higher. And you know what? Modeling for that is just smart. It's just conservative. You may as well do that anyway. I mean, and what they did say is that it just looking at the results overall, they did say um, there were some there were some significant uh, increases in the number of Medicare Advantage and Medicaid members, which does not surprise me in the least and should surprise exactly no one. Um, there is, it, it is very likely that you're going to see increased visits and increased investments here. And what's, what's interesting, I don't know if you've seen this, uh, Chris, but I saw this yesterday and I thought it was interesting that this came on the heels or, or actually came just ahead of the United Health earnings. I got an email from our provider, which happens to be United Health, yesterday here at the Fool, saying, "Hey, why don't you sign up for virtual visits?" Which is a incredibly smart move, because if you're going to manage costs and you expect costs to rise, what's the one thing you could do to make sure that you're actually serving your patients but doing it in a cost-effective fashion? increasingly, I mean, we've been seeing this with Teladoc and, and others uh, getting virtual visits on the book. And interestingly enough, it is Teladoc that is enabling those virtual visits. So I thought that was interesting. This is going to be a very interesting 2021. But as I come out of this, Chris, I'm thinking about it like United Health just set itself up for a really strong fiscal 2021, so long as the pandemic goes the way it expects and pandemics have a way of going the way we completely you know unexpect you know nobody can predict a pandemic our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter. At marketfoolery is the handle on Twitter. I uh, got a question on Twitter from Erin in Arizona. She writes, I was just listening to Tuesday's episode, which got me wondering. I have five shares of Disney that my parents bought me in 1993. And she wow. adds parenthetically, we forgot about them for a long time. Is there something better I should do with those shares than continue to let them sit where they are? Thanks. Uh, first of all, uh, thank you, Aaron. And second of all, shout out to Aaron's parents uh, for buying shares of Disney no in 1993 doubt. when it was um, in the low teens right. <laughs> and is currently around $130 a share. <laughs> um, so, you know, so Aaron is sitting on some shares that are, you know, up at a minimum seven, eight times in value. Um you know, J Jason Moser and I talked uh, the other day about Disney, this reorganization that they've done, and sort of implicit in Aaron's question is, sort of, you know, w where do you see Disney going over the over the next ten years? Um, uh, before we get to that, I, I'm her question reminds me of um, a line I always associate with David Gardner whenever the, the question comes up: uh, Should I sell this stock? It's like, well, what are you going to do with the money? Like, you right. know, if you if you have a better place for the money, um, then yeah, maybe you should sell the stock. That said, I don't know. I, I as a Disney shareholder, I'm I like the moves that Chapek made, and uh, I I feel pretty bullish about the next ten years. I do too, and you know, time to level up the holiday gifts for Aaron for your parents. There, my goodness, <laughs> man! I mean, just think about it. This year, you can't go see them, right? You're not going to go on the airplane to go see them unless you're living nearby. But uh, yeah, Prime Day is here. 
Go ahead and level up those Christmas gifts because, my goodness, boy, they did you a solid on on that uh, Disney purchase. But I agree. I mean, over the next 10 years, essentially what you're going to see is a little bit of distinctiveness between the theme parks business and the hard assets business and the streaming business. And Disney's doubling down on the streaming business. And you know what? That is exactly what they need to do. Um, The only thing they really had to fix, Chris, inside the Disney business model is the distribution mechanism. That's what streaming does, is it fixes the distribution model so that you can broadcast ESPN, you can broadcast Disney Plus, and you can take advantage of all those assets. So as long as they keep doubling down on improving the distribution mechanism, I think they're going to be fine. In fact, I would say they're probably going to be Number one and number two, I still believe Netflix is number one here, but I believe Disney is getting itself in a position to be the strong number two worldwide over the next 10 years. So, yeah, hold on to those shares. Yeah, and, you know, we've talked for a while about all the different options people have with streaming services. Most people are picking more than one. Netflix really seems like the default and yep. I think that with the moves that uh, Bob Chapek announced, uh, it's a very clear signal that that Disney wants to position its streaming services as either one A or a very close second, yep. um, and then you know HBO Max, Peacock, and everybody else gets to fight for, you know for relevancy right. in terms of in terms of being uh, you know also included in people's packages. It is it's it's hard to imagine Disney not being one of your top three choices when you are buying because let's just say the future includes some real flexibility with how you make purchasing decisions around content and entertainment. If that's the way it is, just forget about the way that you get them. Just figure that you're gonna have some choice here. I can't imagine that Disney is not a top three seller in that equation. Tim Byers, really appreciate you being here. Thanks for doing it. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. tomorrow.